Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, everybody. Today you have me, Isabella Frappier, and I am super excited to talk to our guest today. I'm so lucky that it's just me getting Ian all to myself. Ian Ferguson is a master trainer of the Erotic Blueprint Methodology and co-founder of Jaya Incorporated, a company dedicated to radically transforming how society discusses and experiences sex. He is an international speaker who has appeared on top podcasts for Tony Robbins and media such as Good Morning America, VH1, Anderson Live, and has been profiled in Details Magazine. His mission, along with over 100 certified erotic blueprint coaches, is to release shame around sex, helping people empower themselves to reclaim the pleasure and true erotic expression that is their birthright. Wow. Ian, what a bio. I am so grateful for your existence, for your work, and for you coming on the podcast today. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be here and excited so, to talk to you as well. Yay. Um, for our listeners that might not be familiar with your work, which I imagine many of them are already, could you tell us just a little bit about how you came to this work yourself? Well, the my my partner, Jaya, um, I've been fully, fully officially in business with her for about six or seven years. Um, and I'm in a, a primary partner relationship with her. We have a son who just turned 11 recently. Uh, so she's my she's my deepest pleasure in my life. And her work has been deeply immersed in this for over 20 years. Um, I was in a completely other profession in Los Angeles. I was a furniture designer for celebrities and producers and whatnot in Los Angeles, California for about 20 years. And it was it, it, it had reached its tail. Um, somewhere during the time where I started my relationship with Jaya and, uh, my, I've always been personally engaged in, um, in personal development or, you know, the self-help movement to use a kind of terrible (laughs) phrase for it. But, um, but it was always of interest to me is always something I was pursuing personally. And I always wanted to be working in this realm and being with Jaya, starting to work sort of in the backgrounds of what she was doing, it became abundantly clear that sexuality is like the fulcrum issue uh, that gets deep into someone's life. The moment you're in their sexuality, like it's sex and money, those two things, the moment you're in either one of those conversations with somebody, you are in the deepest aspects of their life and you have the most opportunity to make transformation and shift and change. And I certainly had my own personal path in terms of being in a marriage for six years uh, prior to my relationship with Jaya, where the sex was was not good, mm. and I was ninety nine point nine percent of the problem. Mm. And the end of that relationship was a real wake up call for me to take a look at who and how I was in my in my relationship life, in my sexuality, in my comfort, my ability to be present with a lover, and just that transition alone without even going and studying Tantra or kink or any of the various you know, methodologies and healing practices around sexuality, that awareness alone was a pivotal shift 
in my relating to myself first and then how I was bringing myself to anybody I was in relationship with. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really, I look at that, you know, that happened before I met Jaya. I, I look at that as like the really pivotal shift in my own advancement or evolution around sex and sexuality. And if you believe in, you know, the kind of thing of you change your internal life and then the external world shows up to support it. Jaya popped in about 18 months after this transition happened for me to be the perfect reflection and mirror for, you know, who I, who I had become. Wow. Wow. Also, I just love so many things. I'm like, I could talk for an hour with you just about that opening statement. Um, I love (laughs) how you include Tantra and BDSM in your description as healing modalities. That just gave me like such a warm feeling in my heart to hear that. It's so comforting to feel like I'm not alone doing this work of Mm. like changing the sexual landscape, both like within ourselves and in the whole world. You know, this is really big work and it's so nice to meet other like-minded people that are on that journey. And I love how you said, like looking back at it and realizing you're 99 instead of the problem. I was just thinking about that yesterday, how like I look back at my past and all of the people that I maybe like vilified or thought was their fault. You you look back and think, Oh, kind of the common denominator there. So might've been me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a wake up call. And I mean, like that's the gift of life is the moment that you're able to see you're able to have the perception of, oh, all that I'm getting in my life is just a reflection of how I'm being and who I'm being mm-hmm. with everything that's around me. Yes. And if I, if I want different results, then I have to find that internal switch that just changes the, the entire equation and being the common denominator, then everything around, around us will shift and change. Yeah. And I find like having those long-term relationships to be like the deepest medicine, like deeper for me than mushrooms or any other like psychedelics of like really being able to radically see yourself properly instead of the, Mm. our self-perception. So I love that you touch on that with your relationship with Jaya. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. And then the, you know, the, 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 you pointed to it, the healing modalities of, uh, Tantra and kink, um, you know, we're, we have the erotic blueprints, which are the, the five erotic types and kink is one of them and energetic would, which would typically be associated with Tantra or Tantric practices is another one of them. And my primary erotic blueprint type is the kinky. Mm. That's where if you want to take me from zero to 160 in seconds, you approach me <laughs> through kink. I, uh, oof, I'm right in. And sensual is my second, my secondary. Um, and I was, you know, I had some, uh, some access to my kinky expression, but as like my fantasy life around kink was far deeper, far more expressive than anything that I was bringing into my sexuality with any, with any lover. And a large deal, a large part of that was sexual shame, right? Mm. So this is weird. Why am I attracted to this? What, what's the turn on here? And in, in my life with Jaya, you know, she was, uh, took on a book assignment of writing a book about kink, which turned into. It's um, like red hot kink. uh, Is that. That one? No, no. Oh, Red Cuff Hot Touch is another book she wrote. Cuff Tied and Satisfied is the book she wrote on King. Yes. That's a great one. So, yeah, it's an amazing book. And part of that, like, she didn't know anything about King. King wasn't actually one of the blueprints when she, oh. when they first started getting downloaded because her energetic 
she had a shadow aspect around kink, like something's wrong with those people. She had a judgment about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It just didn't fit in her cosmology. And here she is with a person whose primary <laughs> primary blueprint is kink. Wow. So, um, yeah. So part of that research for that book, she had to go deep. And we did a 40-40 experiment where I was submissive to her for 40 days. Then we took 10 days off. And then she was submissive to me for 40 days. We were working with kink masters. We were working with trainers. We were going really deep into the, the realm of kink. And one of the big watershed moments for me was when I was in the submissive role, there was huge turn on for me in, that, in, in being in that role. And we were really playing out and diving into a bunch of my fantasy life. And you know, 20, 25 days in, this question just has kept coming up. Like, well, why am I turned on by this? What's so, mm. what's why? What's, is there something wrong with me? I don't, you know, people will associate kink to people like they'll think, oh, they must've been traumatized sexually or they've got some traumatic past. And we all have traumas, but I wouldn't consider myself as somebody who has any kind of overt or big trauma, never been sexually okay. abused, none of that stuff. And uh, but so it just kept coming over, up over and over again. And we, we were working with one of our trainers for uh, a bit of an immersion. And this trainer just said, finally just said to me, stop, why not stop asking why and just enjoy it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the person gave, yeah, so simple, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes the simplest medicine. Yeah. And they gave me permission to be like, okay, well, it's just what is, right? Mm -hmm. It's just what turns it on. And it's interesting too, when given that permission, then sometimes certain aspects of it kind of fall away because they don't have the taboo or the edge or the like yeah. uh, the discomfort, which is part of the kinky expression. And some of them get amped up and just get freedom to be like, oh, well, what would it be like if I really dove into that aspect of my sexuality? Mm -hmm. And vice versa, when we dove into Jaya's 40 days, she does have a history of extreme trauma, like CPTSD level trauma of being abused in her household from you know birth through her teenage years. And the, and big things showed up, you know, because we start we were playing with blindfolds and gags and things like this, and and uh, really like disassociative stuff was starting to come mm. up. And when that started to happen, we went right to a kink-friendly therapist, person in our community, and worked with her on it. And she really helped us to clarify, okay, so don't stop playing, but don't you know, take the gags out, take the blindfold mm. out. Because what we turned it into was an opportunity for Jaya to create agency you know, to have her own voice, to reclaim her voice in a situation, in situations in her life where otherwise she didn't have that voice. So I don't want to, I don't want to guide people towards kink as a way to heal, as like a, as a way to go into psychological healing, but it can have done properly, consciously with consent, learning, learning from pros, <laughs> like you really manage the, the territory powerfully. It can have very healing benefits. Mm. Thank you for down. saying that. Yeah, I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it a million times again, I'm sure. He, kink can be such a beautiful modality for healing. And I'm so fucking sick of hearing people say shit like, oh, if you're into that, you must have been abused. Because like, maybe you were and maybe you weren't. But what the fuck does it matter if you find it helpful? What does it matter? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What like does said, it matter? Like you said, it's done right? safely, of course. Safely, consensually. And that's the biggest key with kink is, is, is there's so many ways that you can 
create more harm or physically hurt somebody or do things improperly, that safety is the number one. Learning how to set containers, learning how Mm -hmm. to have those conscious conversations about, um, you know, what, what are your hell yeses? You know, like, what are you really into? And you really, really want to try making sure both of you are on that same page, find out what your, your willing tos are, because that might be a meeting ground where, Mm. so for somebody who's in a partnership where they're coming in, they're energetic, maybe they have judgment about kink, but their partner's kink is like how they're massively turned on. um, There are often ways to find the way to bridge the gap between mm. what seem like disparate blueprints or disparate ways of approaching your eroticism and finding the common landing landing zones where it's like, we're both hell yeses here. Let's start from there so that we can learn to be honor each other. The, you know, relating is honoring, like successful relating is honoring the other in that relationship and honoring yourself and, mm. and find the places where you're, you are totally matched up, find the places where you're, willing to you're kind of there and then be very clear about your no ways like that's i'm just not into you know needles and hooks in my flesh or any kind of cutting or i'm not into demeaning language and be able to declare those boundaries and and in relating if it's a new relationship um the maya angelou quote where i'm gonna maul it but it's it's uh i always do (laughs) when somebody yeah (laughs) when somebody tells you when somebody shows you who they are Believe, uh, believe them, mm-hmm. right? So in that kind of dialogue, can somebody respect you and honor your boundaries or be curious enough about them to honor boundaries you, didn't, you may not even been know, have known were there? Mm. So, you know, and kink, kink is one of those places in the exploration where um, it's going to open up, again, done right, done consciously, it's going to open up a level of consensual conversation, conscious conversation that most people do not ever go near mm. in their sexual sexual relationships. Oh, so beautifully said. And for all our listeners, if you're re- hearing this and thinking like, oh my God, I want to know more about King, I really, really recommend that book that we're speaking of, Cuff Tine Satisfied. I've read it and it's so fantastic. Like the specific tools and tricks are great. But what I found so valuable was hearing from you both, like on your perspective of what it was like to do that 40 days each. I found that like personal Mm. element really helpful. Speaking Mm. of like shame and trauma, I'm wondering, one of the things I've noticed a lot in my practice with clients, because I I work predominantly with a female population and I see, I keep about 5% of my books open to male identifying folks. And one of the things I've seen, whether I'm seeing women that are talking about dating men or seeing men talking about what it's like today, is they have all of this internalized shame and trauma around their divine masculine and like how to embody, I guess, too, some of what I'm interpreting as like a bit of more primal masculine. And I think there's been Mm -hmm. almost like... I don't know if this is the most PC thing I've ever said, but almost (laughs) with the way we've um, (laughs) tried to move towards like feminism that I think in some ways, a lot of men have experienced being told like everything you're doing is bad and wrong, but not how to be in their divine masculine. So the whole kind of thing gets crushed. What's Mm -hmm. your like experience and thoughts on that? And could you speak a little bit to like how you feel men can identify and connect with their divine masculine and what sort of shame and trauma they have around that. And I guess also I'm asking you six questions at once, but like could kink also (laughs) be like a good healing modality for that? 
Yes. So to jump on the last one first, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things, so there, man, <laughs> there's so I many know, places to go I could talk about this. this all day. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things about, you know, whether it's being able to occupy and own the divine masculine, um, part of what, there is a primalness to yeah. sexual relating, right? There is a place where it's proper and allowed, and that's within a container, like in a consensual container. And so for me, I, something that just keeps popping to me based on your question is in our, in our blueprint system, my lowest blueprint is sexual. <laughs> and it was only a couple of years ago me that too. <laughs> I, uh, all right, cool. We're, <laughs> we're, we're related on that. Um, is the, it took me it was a couple of years ago. It, it, I realized like, Oh, why is my sexual so low? And it's because I had adopted a mythology, a cultural mythology that being overtly showing overt attraction or um, indicating my sexual attraction for somebody that I was into made me an asshole. Mm. Like that made me a toxic, it wasn't my phrase at the time, but I, that's the toxic masculinity mm -hmm. to express that and let somebody know that. And that turned in a whole bunch of layers of like sort of hiding you know, like the notebook in front of my erect penis as I'm trying to move from period yeah. one to period two in, in middle school, right? That just pops up out of nowhere. And I'm like, wait, what's <laughs> going on here? This, this piece, this thing doesn't belong to me. Um, so there's a, there's a whole aspect of hiding just overt, flat out, raw, primal sexuality in myself. So um, another one of the things that we play with is something called empowered erotic personas. Mm. And one of mine was to develop that aspect of my sexuality, which was completely unapologetic. So I discovered, uh, or you know, I, I, I found this aspect of myself and I started to turn up the volume on how does, how does he walk? How does he think? How does he breathe? What does he, what is he attracted to? How would he speak to anybody? And his name is Sly and he's overtly sexual. Mm. And this is a, this is a character who, um, he would be in the, in the age of me too, he would be, um, shunned, shamed, <laughs> potentially thrown in prison if he were to be walking around and hanging out at a bar and coming on to women in the way that he mm -hmm. does. But I was able to play with these aspects of, of, a, of a true part of myself and put them in a conscious container and play with them with Jaya and play with them in other, in with, with other lovers and whatnot. So I, I could fully express this part of myself mm. and then find ways that it, this part of myself wasn't going to come out in, um, you know, neurotic expressions or little biting comments or ways that, that they might verbal out because these are all aspects of ourselves. That primal sexuality is part of every human person on this planet. So first getting into like being aware, like not trying to shove that aspect down, finding out what is that part of me like? What is that part of, how does that part of me express? If that part of me were able to run rampant, what would it do? <laughs> like without being judged, without being shamed and being able to get aware of that aspect of ourself, conscious of it, and then start to give it language. Then it can come out in a, in a way of, of creating a conscious conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's a, um, in the, 
around feminism. There's this, this, the concept of don't objectify the vulva bodied people among us. Mm -hmm. Right. But when I talk to the vulva bodied folks or my partner or any number of our clients, they are not all, but many of them are deeply turned on by being objectified. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's when it's done in a way that's unconscious, when it's done in a way of grabbing energy. Yeah. So, you know, the toxic, yeah, the toxic masculine comes from a, this deep unmet need, right? This, this like, I'm going to, I need to be loved or I need to be seen or I need to be sexually gratified and I'm going to go in and I'm going to grab it. Mm. It's a very take kind of energy and it doesn't typically pay attention to consent in that conversation. So and, if, and, you know, a lot of the vulva-bodied, cisgendered female um, folks in our culture, they're, you know, you, you get an honest, uh, honest feedback from them. They'll talk about how they're turned on by the guy who's overtly masculine, mm -hmm. where, you know, and, and, and so many of the nice guys, and I put myself in that category that I lived the nice guy life for 35 years and was behaving completely out of that <laughs> we'll look at that and it's the bad boy thing it's the like the overt masculine and women you know cisgendered women are still turned on by it mm -hmm. and we're going like wait we're not supposed to behave like that how is that guy still getting all the women right because there's a, an unapologetic piece to that person's that person's expression of who they are so now if you can get connected to being unapologetic about who you are, but bring consciousness to your communication, consent, understanding of boundaries, uh, that just turns the volume up on the, the, hot, the hotness or the attraction or that um, divine masculine that you're talking about because it's not reaching out to grab. It's, it lacks nothing. It's not, there's, there's nothing in you that I don't have that I can't supply for myself. And, but I can still stand here and be like, oh, you're an amazingly beautiful woman. I'm totally attracted to you. You're hot. Want to come have dinner with me? So it, it just comes from a place of like, hey, this is an invitation to come play as opposed to I need you to, to mm. fulfill something or, or you are an object to, to gratify me. <laughs> then later in the bedroom or, you know, months later in the dating process, we can get into the conversation Definitely. about how you may or may not want to be taken or, you know, objectified or thought of in those ways because our erotic mind is, is um, wildly creative, wildly expressive for many, if not most of us, and wild, wildly underutilized. Mm -hmm. mm, I love that distinction. I think those specifics are really important for people to understand this difference and like how can I be in my masculine how can I be embodied without being like coercive or feeling fearful that I'm gonna get me to it and I feel like part of the way I'm imagining it too is like the difference between saying to a woman oh my gosh you look beautiful in that sundress like you were just stunning and then like going on your way like this beautiful moment of goddess worship as opposed to like, Ooh, you're mm. hot. What could I get from you? How can I be yes. engaged in this? Right. <sighs> or or don't you like think I'm sexy? Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't you think I'm yeah. sexy because I'm, you know, being so cocky with you. 
Mm. And then, uh, and it's so, uh, and and then it just gets confusing again for the cock-bodied cisgendered guys who have that essence of like the nice guy, or they've been toxic masculine and they're trying to figure out because uh, often the signals or like the actual interaction between the you know cisgender. I'm just going to um, put the brackets around. We're talking about cisgendered yes. men, cisgendered women at the moment. <laughs> so because. There's a whole range in between. Definitely. I find myself to have a, a very expressed femininity about myself while I also have access to very strong masculine components. And I'm everywhere on that spectrum. Um, so it was like, when it, whoa. So uh, like you look at the pickup artist community that, mm-hmm. that is, they will send guys out into the field and they'll have the one guy who's doing the nice guy thing. And then they'll have the one guy who's doing this like sort of crazy, cocky, weird, bizarre, and very overt approaching of a woman. But one thing that's thing, and, and it's often the cocky guy who who doesn't have, who's not expressing a strong understanding of the boundaries or you know, that kind of thing. That's getting the phone numbers mm-hmm. when they're doing these experiments. But there's they're they're also teaching them certain skills of. How do you bring humor to this? How do you bring mm. self-deprecation? How do you be in that space of play where it's fine if the person walks away? Yes. Right? It's, that it's, non-attachment. it's not about like the non-attachment. And, but, but if you're in there grabbing you need and it's to satisfy some unmet need in oneself, that then turns into you, you're not, if, if I'm approaching you in that way, you're not being felt, seen, heard, respected. <laughs> and if if you especially if you had uh trauma but even if you're just a normal sensitive human being that's likely just going to create wilting shutdown in you like oh i gotta get away from this like that's it's uh, unsafe energy yes yeah and in that energy too i think so many um heterosexual cisgender women respond to that energy even if it's an affect because it's alpha right and we sort of gravitate towards Mm -hmm. that but then it's like, do you want someone to want to fuck you or date you or be with you or get that attention because you're coercing and tricking them or because you're so embodied in your masculine that it's like magnetic, it's gravitational. Mm. So like some mm-hmm. of those, those tricks, they work. Like I've read that stupid book. <laughs> I forget what it's <laughs> called, right? But um, what was that? The Game? Was that what it was, was The Neil Strauss book? Yeah. The Game, yeah. Neil yeah. Strauss, The Game. Yeah. I've read that. It's a fascinating, interesting book, and, and I'm sure that this bit's stupid, but it's great too. Um, I'm sure so many of those those tips work, but only as sort of like trickery rather than genuine yeah. embodied masculine energy. And it's so interesting to me what you're saying of like I'm kind of distilling it or interpreting it as like being so full up in your own cup of masculine energy rather than mm. needing to fill it through the feminine energy of others. Yes. And, and, and authenticity, uh, like radical authenticity and truth telling mm. is often, again, as long as it's not this grabbing energy yes. is, is tends to create um, intrigue and interest, whether it, you know, carries through to attraction and, uh, you know, connection, that's another question. But um, one of the most surprising things that ever happened to me in my life was uh, after my marriage ended, I got into a couple of monogamous relations, you know, uh, serial monogamy, where I realized, okay, here I'm, I'm in a relationship with these, with these people. And 
there is a desire for them, for me to be different, for them to feel okay. Ah. Like, and uh, part of that was one person was very jealous and triggered by if I was attracted to somebody else, the other person couldn't even hear me talk about my Mm ex-wife. And this is like, you know, eight years of my life and relationship and all that that I'd had with this person. And they didn't want me to express anything about it because it triggered their own jealousy or or lack of, uh, you know, confidence in themselves. So I just realized, okay, wait, uh, I have a broad sexuality. I am attracted to a lot of people. Then I heard about polyamory, never heard about it. And I didn't know anybody practicing it. I was like, that sounds like it would fit with me. And I'm going to declare myself as polyamorous. And my commitment was when I approach someone and tell them that I'm attracted to them, I'm going to let them know right off the bat that I'm polyamorous, that that means that I'm seeing multiple people, that they're intimate relationships, and that they'd have to be on board with this. And I thought that women would run from me like the plague, right? Like, here's this guy living in Venice, California, total pueriternus, like the, he's, you know, the kid, the guy who's got intimacy issues and he's, uh, I'm not going anywhere near that. He's just trying to get in a bunch of girls' pants. And it was crazy. Like within two weeks of making this declaration and approaching people I was attracted to in that way with that, you know, First, I'm attracted to you. I'd love to, you know, have lunch or get to know you a little bit better. And you'll need to know this about me if you're interested. Mm. I, ha- I was dating five women within two weeks. They wow. all knew that I was dating other women. Um, and it started on a complete foundation of radical authenticity and being just very, very vulnerable and true about where I was. None of them knew anything about polyamory. It wasn't really destined to work out because it's, you know, that they're, it, they really wanted monogamous relationships, mm-hmm. but they were, they were relationships even short lived that were full of growth mm. and deeper understanding. And uh, two of those partners during that time went on in their next relationship to find the person that they married uh. and separate from each other without, you know, they didn't know each other, but they, 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 I hung out with them afterwards, you know, later on. And uh, both of them reflected something of the essence of because you had been so straight with me and authentic in the way you were relating with me during the time that we were together, I was able to get much more clear on who I was, what I wanted and get, you know, get to my truth. And that made it possible for me to meet this new person who's who they were now marrying. I was like, oh my God, wow. I had, you know, certainly not my intention to have that, but just having that freedom and being so, so true, open truth for them. And yeah, I usually get teary eyed when I I'm tell that story. I'm right uh, now. That's yeah. so beautiful. That like punched <laughs> me in the chest. Fuck. And I mm. love how you said in their phrasing, you said like, here's something you'll have to know about me if you want to move forward. Because as soon as you said that, I just thought, ah, that puts the partner that in this case, a woman in the driver's seat. So you're fully in control of yourself and being in control. Mm. You're not trying to have control over someone. You're giving them such beautiful right. agency. And I think that's something that's missing from so much like dating uh mm. constructs or the way we interrelate with people it's like being so fucking embodied in ourselves that we're 
very in control of who we are and can give that beautiful agency to people. <sighs> yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. So and, I, and it's interesting because like at this point, talking about sex and sexuality is kind of like talking about coffee or, you know, <laughs> your favorite meal at a restaurant for me. Yeah, me too. So I kind of lose focus or I, I lose a sense of just how touchy this subject is <laughs> for people. And those folks who are coming new into our community, there's a different version with people who are already in long-term relationships, but people who are single um, and talking about how they're navigating sexuality and they're relating in uh, to new people they're interested in or dating, there's a, there's a approach that that, ex that the, the um, polyamory thing I was just telling you about gave to me about how I relate with people. And then Jaya is her own universe of like very blunt, straightforward. This is what I want. This is how I want it. This is who I am. That it, it, it's just kind of like, wait, why are we waste? Why are we spending yeah. so much time in the vagaries? Why are we spending so much time in the dark corners and trying to guess at who the person is that we're dating or, or having them try and guess who we are and what we want. And of course there's tons of layers. There's the shame, there's the, you know, societal trauma around sex. There's the fact that nobody speaks openly and honestly, but that creates all of this hiding. Mm -hmm. And one of our things that we advise, you know, this isn't everybody's style, but we advise for people who are dating or putting out their profiles is, put out who you are, what you want, you know, and, and it's kind of like, it's an application process. Mm -hmm. If you're I like that, I'm for you. If X, Y, Z, I am not for you. If X, Y, Z, yes. do not contact me. If you are X, Y, Z, this is, I'm just not interested. And then making sure like on that first date that the person is like they actually read your profile, <laughs> you know, the tea or the coffee or the Zoom call or however you're, you know, meeting up with people. Check in and find out, did you actually read? Are you, are you agreeing to what you said you agreed to? Are you authentically here because you're interested in this or are you just here to get laid or, you know, have the next adventure? Yeah. So it just, it just feels like, you know, now is the time, right? To just, now is the time to put it on the table, ask for what you want, and then, and then I guess it's about the deeper layer of, uh, for a lot of people of being able to discover who they really are and what they truly want to actually be able to express it in the first place. Wow. Amazing. I was going to ask you, cause I also just noticed that I we're almost at the end of our time, which makes me sad because I could literally talk to you all day about this. Um, but I was <laughs> going to ask you like, what would be some of your tips for folks to start really connecting with their divine masculine? And it sounds like getting really clear on who you are and being unapologetic in the expression of that is like a key one for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, are, for are sure. Are there any other like little ones that you'd recommend for people? It's a, you know, the, the sex and sexuality or just being authentically who we are uh, can be challenging because a lot of people, like a lot of people, even though we're maybe surrounded by people, we're still living in isolation. Um, so I, I would encourage people to get involved in communities that are encouraging of mm. their emergent self, right? And follow your curiosity safely into, you know, zones that you may not have explored. 
try, you know, there's a smorgasbord of opportunity for pleasure, opportunity for erotic exploration, opportunity for intimate, you know, non-sexual communication and connection. Mm. And there's a thousand modalities, 10,000, 20,000 modalities for discovering and trying to find, find out. There's tons of things on the smorgasbord to experiment mm. with and dive in and play with them and start to discover who you are actively as mm. opposed to just thinking about it, reading about it in a book. You're, if you're interested in Tantra or you're interested in that world, find a reputable person who's a practitioner who's got a good reputation and go check out one of their workshops or get some coaching with them. You're interested in kink. There are all sorts of ways to start exploring safely with kink. You're a sensual person uh, or, and you've never really explored all of the, that's available in the sensual realm. Go for it. Find ways to indulge, ex expand your sensual expression. Um, if you're a sexual, maybe you've been interested in swinging or mm -hmm. you know, getting into sex communities and that sort of thing. It can be tricky to find the places that, you, that are trustable and trustworthy that are led with, by leaders who understand boundaries, consent, and consent conversations and all that sort of thing. But there's also ways to dip your toe in without, you know, going whole hog in to see if you feel safe and you feel mm. if people are paying attention to you and your needs and desires and, and you'll feel protected when you, when you step further in. And then just on the intimacy and relating piece, uh, you know, whether it's, it has to do with sexuality or not, um, starting to learn aspects of your relating style, you know? So what's your attachment style? Mm. Are you anxious? Are you an avoidant? Are you anxious avoidant? Are you secure attached? Um, when things get stressful, do you move into one or the other? Cause that's usually when the anxious or avoidant, mm. uh, show up. So you, you, you can start to titrate. So like for an, uh, an anxious type, going into relationship, what can often occur. And so these are attachment styles. If people are listening and they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, and it's been a body of research for about 30 years. Uh, there's a book called Attached from a person who we just love. She was one of our therapists, um, Kirsta Luminaire. And, uh, um, or no, maybe she didn't write the book. So wait, I may have said that wrong, <laughs> but she may have just recommended the book to me. Attached is the name of the book. Really good oh, deep we'll dive it in into the show notes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what was I trying to say? The, if you're, if you're an anxious type, that means you, you want closeness. You, if there's a conflict, you, you need to solve it. You go towards your partner to try and get their, you know, connection. Um, and that may lead to how you enter into a relationship that may be creating unhealthy cycles of engagement. Mm -hmm. So, that it may be learning a new way of stepping into a relationship. Say you're the type that dives in and in two weeks, you know, in the first week you're like, Oh my God, miracle. This is my soulmate. I love this person. We're so connected and we love all the same things. Start to recognize here's a loop. Here's a pattern. Here's the thing I do all the time. Maybe I should try something a little different and then be authentic and declare it with the person, mm. right? Don't hide out. Just be like, Hey, I have, I'm really, I am really interested in you. I'm excited about this. I'm totally turned on. And 
And I'd like to actually have more longevity in my relationship with you than previous ones or have the op opportunity for that to happen. So I need to do this a little differently. And it's going to feel really awkward in my system. And I don't think I'm going to handle it very well because I don't know how to do it. So, but I, I'm, I'm, I would usually like want to spend every minute of every day with you because it's new and I'm totally into you. But I am going to do a thing where let's just get together two times a week. I'm going to stay grounded and rooted in my yoga practice or my, you know, my whatever classes and make sure I'm connected to my job and my family and friends. And I'm going to want to try and weave you into my life rather than have you become like mm. the North star where all of my focus is here. So starting to um, regulate your nervous system, train your retrain your nervous system to have a different relationship with being able to be fully you while connecting to another person and not giving giving yourself up, and that's true for whether the person's got a cock or or a vulva, right? Mm. God, that is so beautiful. I feel so immensely touched by your ability to be so vulnerable and transparent in your communication, and I just know that it's going to be so lovely and nourishing for our listeners as it has been for me. Mm. And I'm just so grateful mm -hmm. that you are in this community and doing this work and. And being someone that people, regardless of their sex or gender expression, can look to of how to harness their divine masculine energy. And just this conversation as someone who identifies as very deeply feminine has also helped me realize the ways I could be showing up a little bit more in my own life as a leader in my masculine, just for myself, mm. not in outward expression, mm -hmm. but just for myself. So I thank you for that. Um, <laughs> we have a question we ask all our guests as our final question, which is, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice about your sexuality, what would it be? Hmm. Hmm. I think it would be a theme that we've been focused on a lot of this interview, which is um, acknowledge and accept what's showing up and then explore, you know, consciously, safely, and um, consciously, safely explore what you're interested in. And that would lead into don't twist and turn yourself to conform to what you think somebody else is expecting of you. Express what you want, express who you are. And at that time, you know, at that, uh, at any moment in your life, express what you want, who you are, what you want, clearly, authentically, honestly, and find people who are want, willing to play that game with you. Mm. Fuck. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much, Ian. I really, really appreciate <laughs> you coming and speaking with us today. Mm. Thank you so much. And thank you for that acknowledgement and uh, inviting me to speak to all of your amazing folks. A pleasure. Hey there, Tosca here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic Podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. 
pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon and it's really important to support us because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. Each week, we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests, from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind-the-scenes access. With more funding for our Sex Magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters, sex magic courses, videos, spell books, and we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven.